In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. We also rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character. Romans 5, 3 to 4. Paul was an athlete, remember, so he's full of this feel the pain. If you don't push yourself, you'll never improve philosophy. I have a friend who says pain and hardship builds character. This is what Paul is saying, isn't it? No pain, no gain. I don't think I think this, it's this way anymore. In my yoga practice... I'm told to listen to my body. If I can't do something today, my instructor said, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up about it. Perhaps this won't make me a first-class Olympic athlete, but my body's thanking me. In real life, though, things get a little different. When we start to hurt and feel the suffering, when nothing's going right, or all the woes of the world are being piled on our heads, and why? It helps us to read sentences like this from Paul. Rejoice in the suffering. That man's a laugh a minute. He makes us feel as though we're earning brownie points for admittance to heaven. Paul knew this wasn't true, but it looks like that sometimes. As a young, indoctrinated Catholic, I was told to offer it up to God, it being anything from physical pain to emotional upheavals, from letdowns to losses. By telling me to offer it up, were the nuns implying I had to earn my way to eternal life? No, not what I believe now. Remember, we're promised a place in heaven. It's the life we have to endure before we get there that takes its toll. The suffering that produces endurance that leads to all that character building. Paul's words helps, help us get through what's going on down here. What's on offer up there because of Jesus is a given. Well, hello and welcome to the Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. Good morning, Texans. Good afternoon, England. I hope you're ready for a fabulous day. My guest this week is Carol Topp, homeschooler, accountant, and work-at-home mum. Carol's going to help us change our attitude about all things money. I'll be talking about homeschooling on Skype. It can be done. Shopping for clothes on a shoestring and carpeting the flat. So bring your cereal and juice or your afternoon Ovaltine, Malia's new favourite, and a slice of Italian wedding cake. That's for hubby. And join me as I chat about settling in a little more each day. Plastic wine bottles. What more can I say? Not only have I had to get used to no longer using a corkscrew to get into my occasional beverage of choice, I'm now being asked to get over the glass bottle in favour of a plastic one. Makes for a lighter shopping bag, but it looks so wrong lying there in the fridge alongside the plastic bottles of water. At least Sainsbury's table wine has retained the classical wine bottle shape, unlike the litre bottles that look like clear milk containers. Sorry, wine in boxes are now in plastic. I can't bring myself to go there. 
If you remember what I said a few weeks ago about leaving England and settling in Texas, you'll understand that I felt booted out, so to speak. Twice, Hobby and I shared our plans with my parents to return to my homeland and pursue a business or work closer to them. I was thinking they'd be thrilled to bits at the prospect of having their favourite and only daughter living closer to them. With however many grandchildren, co-union with my blue-eyed cowboy yielded. But they thought of America as their saviour, blaspheme not intended. What would we have done after the war if it weren't for America, they asked. To them its streets were paved with gold, a country running with milk and honey. America's where your opportunities lie, not here, they advised. You're better off where you are, they added. In case I didn't get their drift, they were thinking of our welfare and I was thinking of family and closeness and support and family. Obviously, I heeded their words, and here I am many years later, returning to an empty nest from the other side of the generation gap. Am I to refurbish, sell, and... I don't know. My listener, who triggered all this soul-searching into the whys and wherefores of my return, continued, I'd like, and I'm sure there are many other listeners out there who would too, to hear about the comfort of the familiarity of the things you describe as unique to England, or the weirdness of things you'd forgotten about. So here I go, on the things I love about my country. Things I'd forgotten or swept under my carpet. Things that make me feel at home, and things that bring home to me why I left. I'm understood for one thing. No one says, I love your accent, where are you from? Without hearing a word I'm saying. Everyone understands me when I say water. I still forget to say sidewalk and dollar, cell phone and chips in all the wrong places. But they're more used to it now because of Hollywood and they understand this other English I lapse into. It feels familiar to walk everywhere and stand at a bus stop and watch three 277s come together when I've been waiting 30 minutes for one. The more I walk, the more people I see. And Malia and I love people watching and we see the same people. She's a drunk who sits opposite her bus stop bus stop in Bromley where she works he keeps his head down and one day she's convinced she'll watch him slide right off the bench while talking we navigate our way around young mother mothers with push chairs and prams shoppers with wheelie baskets um the elderly with their walkers and every now and again a three-wheeled fully automated electric wheelchair that's both road and pavement worthy i suppose the high streets could be compared to outside malls except for one major consideration the traffic for every pedestrian there's a car a bus a lorry a trolley motorbikes and bikes there are designated places to stop and wait for the green walking man to beckon me across the road I don't always make it to the designated places and hardly ever wait for the green man. And when I do, the trick is to make a dash across the road when there's a break in traffic. Belisha beacons guard the zebra crossings where pedestrians have the right of way without traffic lights and beckoning green men. Woe betide a motorist who forgets when a mother with three children takes her crossing entitlement seriously and steps into the road without a glance either way. Another difference from the mall-style shopping of America are the green spaces I happen upon in every part of London. They're called parks, gardens or commons and are around every corner. The lawns are manicured, the flower beds are well tended and filled with geraniums and petunias, roses and daisies. This is what makes city living bearable. Along the roads, there are hanging baskets teeming with freesias and periwinkles. They adorn lampposts, windowsills, pub awnings and walls everywhere. We do gardens well here. Well, and what's weird, 
Well, National Health, for one thing, I can go to the doctor and have a quick 10-minute consultation, all we're allowed unless we request a longer visit, and walk out with prescriptions for everything I use on a regular basis, whether I can buy it over the counter or not. There's a moisturiser I like, some fizzy calcium tablets I've grown used to that were my mum's, and a particular toothpaste that costs too much over the counter. They're not too keen on the antibiotics, though. We have to wait for a few days while tests are read before these are prescribed. As I walked out of my appointment at the surgery, I noticed a desk with brochures outlining the latest benefits available for free on the National Health. And this is where young mums go to get coupons for milk and orange juice and Marmite for their children under six, regardless of financial situation. And there are closed circuit TV cameras everywhere, not only on the train platforms and undergrounds, but on street corners and along busy thoroughfares. We're watched during rush hour, and if the queues get backed up at the ticket window, we're told over the loudspeaker to pay for our train tickets at our destinations. A finable offence under normal circumstances, but with all the tourists in London at the moment, this is a good way to disperse people from the busiest station in London, Victoria, where my Texan fell in love with me at first sight. The food, of course, is what I remember and miss most about England. Not the meat and two veg meals we're famous for with its starch and bad wrap. The breads and cheeses, which can't be found stateside at any cost. Branston pickle. How did I ever eat a cheese or ham sandwich without it? Marmite, that growing spread we get free to feed our children on from the moment they're eating solids. Chocolate biscuits, not only the digesters, but the bags and bags of wonderful biscuits that are more like sweet bars, Blue Ribbon, Rocky Road, Penguin, Club. I challenge you to have a cup of tea without one of these sweet sensations in your saucer once you've experienced a real tea time. Then there are the Bakewell tarts, rhubarb pies and scones, little ice sponge cakes called fancies, crumpets toasted in front of a fire and just under the grill, Mars bar ice creams, crunchies, Cadbury chocolate, Lyle's golden syrup, those awfully stodgy but incredibly satisfying steamed sponge puddings we make. Fish and chips with lashings of salt and vinegar, no longer wrapped in unsanitary newspaper. And I can't forget the pub. It's a sacred institution here, and I'm talking about the local, not the commercial pubs built for tourists. The real thing with sticky carpets, oak bars and badly scratched tables and chairs. An upright piano for a good old knees up and a dartboard in the back. Our local is a small low ceilinged affair set on the corner of a street and surrounded by tiny muse houses. It's within easy walking distance from our abode, about five quick minutes. And when we can squeeze in the door and push our way to the bar to order a couple of pints, we tend to stay put and eavesdrop. The beer is warm, that's how I remember it, and the self-regulating measurement dispensers on the spirits fascinate Malia, how they release the correct amount into a glass and then fill up again all on their own. Despite two larger, busier and younger pubs in the vicinity, the Jolly Woodman still packs them in. It's the authenticity, the friendliness of the staff, the ever-changing local brews they feature, the absence of loud music, only loud laughter allowed, and a jolly good time to be had by all. It has become our Friday night haunt. And did I mention the rain? Well, it's July and I'm still wearing long trousers and a cardigan. But tomorrow they have promised sunshine, so I may be able to sunbathe if there are long enough breaks between the clouds for the sun to do its job. No wonder we have such lovely complexions here. We've had rain for the whole six weeks we've been here. Either it starts out sunny, which is good for the four in the morning chorus crowd, but by lunchtime the crowds have clouds have gently rolled in on the breeze and a little sprinkle begins which lasts until the evening 
And if perchance it rains in the morning, I'd be forgiven to logically conclude that the day may end in brilliant sunshine, but the pattern doesn't work in reverse. If it wasn't for my lovely green and verdant garden that I look at all day, this damp and cool weather would be depressing. It's more like April than July. Mostly, being back is like putting on a favourite pair of slippers or an especially soft jumper on a cold night. It feels right. I can say we when talking about British idiosyncrasies, when in America I got used to saying y'all. Just joking. While my children, family, friends and stuff are still in Garland, this country is mine. My roots are here. And I have to go on a break. So I will see you back with my guest after How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. The 25 breaks a couple of tackles. And look at him go! He could go all the way! Touchdown! 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 Get ready for some football. Talk, that is, with Confessions of a College Football Rules Violator with Lance Siegel on Toginet.com Tuesday nights at 11 Central. This is your chance with Lance and his friends to share opinions about last weekend's sporting events. All the sports networks and TV shows have shown their top ten at least a hundred times. And the commentators and guest analysts have gone over every single slow motion instant replay, and yet there are still some of us fans who want to wring the referee's neck or fire the coach or kick the player off the team. So let's do it. Here, with confessions of a college football rules violator. So enjoy next week's games, then be here to talk about them. With Lance, it's cathartic, soul-cleansing, and gives you one more chance to scream about a bad call. It's because of a college football rules violator. With Lance Siegel, Tuesday evenings at 11 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Parents, if you feel overloaded, overworked, underappreciated, and seriously stressed out, the Parents' Plate is here to help you. The Parents' Plate with Brenda Nixon, Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet. It's time to build stronger families through parent empowerment. And that's what the Parents' Plate does. The Parents' Plate understands the busyness of life and balancing child rearing and other commitments. Brenda Nixon will be talking to noted experts and authors on all issues, from teething to teen driving. Brenda Nixon is a nationally recognized speaker to parents and child care professionals and author of the award-winning The Birth to Five book. From Fox 4 in Kansas City to schools and synagogues to businesses to bookstores, conferences to churches, audiences rave that Brenda engages, educates, and encourages. For more information on Brenda and her books, check out her website, brendanixon.com. The Parents' Plate is loaded with information and affirmation. The Parents' Plate with Brenda Nixon. Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, my guest this morning is Carol Topp from Cincinnati. 
where she lives with her husband and two daughters. Carol is a homeschooling mother who also works from home and has encouraged her girls to have their own businesses. She's the author of Homeschool Co-ops, How to Start Them, Run Them and Not Burn Out, and more recently, Micro Businesses for Teens. Welcome back, Carol. It's a pleasure to have you on my show this morning. Oh, hello, Vivian. Good morning. It's morning here in Cincinnati. I enjoyed hearing your discussion about the weather in Great Britain because oh. we are we are having, I think we're entering our sixth day of above 90-degree temperatures here in Cincinnati, Ohio, so we're suffering in a slightly different way than you are. <laughs> yes, well, I suppose it's kind of, they talk about all this global warming and everything, but I think if one country is unusually hot, well, one part of the world, another part of the world is unusually cold and wet so <laughs> yeah. so it sort of balances itself out there but i don't like being on the cold wet end of it <laughs> yeah and we don't really like this heat either oh no. Well, um, Carol, um, welcome back. As I mentioned before, you're a returning guest. Um, um, so I would like to just quickly do a little recap about um, your situation as far as a homeschooler and a work-at-home mother is. So can you fill us in as to why you started to homeschool? Well, gosh, I started to homeschool 14 years ago when my oldest daughter, who's now uh, in college, well, you know, was needing to start first grade, and she was reading at about the third grade reading level. She was reading Little House on the Prairie book, mm-hmm. and I thought, mm, I can't put this child in a classroom where they're going to reintroduce the alphabet to her. And after visiting the public schools and some private schools and talking to a lot of friends, I decided that in order to encourage her love of learning and not kill it, I wanted to homeschool her. Mm-hmm. And uh, 14 years later, that was a good decision, and I, I cannot believe it, but uh, my, my youngest daughter just graduated from high school this past May, so I have finished homeschooling my children. I'm, I guess I'm a graduate myself now. Oh, yes, I know how that feels. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of hanging on. I've got my daughter, uh, my youngest daughter is here with us, and she's going to attend um, college here for a year, her final year. And so I am just loving every moment that I have her until I have to say goodbye in September and she goes off to college. So. Wow. Yes, I know yeah. the feeling. It's, it's yeah. bittersweet, isn't it? It's what we raise our children to do, but it's still kind of bittersweet. Yeah. Okay, so um, you work at home. Tell me how that started. Well, I, I, I had a career. I was uh, actually an accountant, uh, excuse me, an engineer with the Navy when my kids were young, and uh, it involved a, a lot of interesting work and travel, but I didn't like doing that when I had young children. So I started working from home, what I call it telecommuting, back then, and I enjoyed it so much that um, I, I just wanted to continue doing that. The, the job ended, but and so I said, well, what can I do from home? I, I did a kind of a career search for about a year. My children were very little. They were like uh, two and five at the time, and I hit on accounting. It's a very flexible career. You can do it part-time. You can do it from your home. You can ramp up as much or as little as you want. So I studied accounting classes from home when my children were little. So that's why I call myself a homeschool CPA. Uh, (laughs) That's one of my websites, (laughs) homeschoolcpa.com, right, because I I really consider myself homeschooled as a CPA because you can do it now. It's amazing what we as adults can learn Mm -hmm. in our homes as well as our children. So I homeschooled my children while I was learning accounting myself, and now I've been working as a licensed accountant, a CPA, for um, 11 years. Well, that sounds wonderful. And yes, you're right. It's something that you can do from home and and so and regulate. Um, mm-hmm. um, not well. You went from. Did you say you were an engineer? Yes. 
yes, yes. But I mean, that's got a lot of math based yeah. in it anyway. So yeah. obviously, you you love um, numbers and math and um, money yeah. and budgets and all that kind of stuff. Which um, mm-hmm. there are a lot of us out there that really kind of get a little bit hot under the collar when we think about money and budgets and stuff right. like that. Um, do you have do you have something that you can share with? Um, you know, share with my listeners about, oh, why do we have to have a budget and why oh. do we get so emotional about oh. money? Yeah. I, yeah. Wow. I could, I do, I do a talk called money and emotions for an hour. Another one called budget is a dirty word. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We don't like it, but yeah. it is so important to teach our kids about money because there's so many bad examples out there, either, you know, in our personal lives or in our government or in the world who are mismanaging their money, living beyond our means, saddled with debt. We don't want those bad examples for our children, so we have to teach them how to manage their own personal money better in light of all the bad examples around them. Well, so how would you, well, yes, and you're right, because I read a book with my daughter in college, and it was about how both the government's are doing stuff with money that a normal householder would not dream of doing. Well, they'd be stupid. They would be creating, uh, they would be committing, you know, financial suicide if they did it yeah. with their accounts. And, you know, here are these leaders doing it and they're setting that example. They're encouraging yeah. it. They're going, well, we, you know, there's this huge debt. We can be in debt. It seems to be sort of okay to be in debt. That's and right. it's not, it's not okay to be in debt. And That's right. They, That's right. And, just having a little bit of plastic is probably a really dangerous thing to have. It is, and they've done a study, uh, several studies have been done about the use of plastic. And did you know that when we use plastic, uh, credit card or debit card, we have a tendency to spend about 12% more. And when mm. we go to the cash register and do that, it registers pleasure in our brain, where instead if we had to hand over currency or paper bills, or coins, that actually causes us to spend less, and it actually registers pain. So one of the good things to teach your children is to, uh, you know, uh, understand the emotions that go with the money. That when when you feel a great joy at swooping that card, <laughs> maybe it's time to switch to a cash system and have your child pay over their, you know, their their shopping or something like that in physical cash. Mm. I also mm. know I know a man that one day pay, cashed his paycheck. You could do this with play money if you wanted to, to teach your children the physical realities of cash, but he cashed his paycheck to show his children where all the household money went. You know, a big stack for taxes, a big stack for the house and the car payments and the food, so the children could see where all the money goes. That's a really important skill to teach children because they don't understand all the things that we as adults have to pay for. Mm. No, they don't. And in fact, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a really interesting um, YouTube video out there that asks children where they think money comes from. Well, Have you seen it? No, I'm going to I'm going to go It's Google called it now. Where do Where do kids think money comes from? Oh, that'd be cute. It is cute. It was one of my it's actually one of my guests from New Zealand and she she um made the video. And it is so funny some of the answers. One one little girl says well, some adults gamble. <laughs> oh, wow. She said, I think what she's parents, seen in her home. Yeah. Gambling. Yeah. Um, money machine, piggy bank. Yeah. Dad buys money from the money shop. I mean, they really, and I'm not talking about little kids. These are like eight and oh, ten year olds yeah. who have no clue as to where their parents get their money from or where money comes from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I think some a lot of it is um, – 
you know, the, the, the parents. I mean, how, how do you, um, you know, sort of help parents talk to their children about money? Because, you know, money is just, it's, it's something that we don't really want to. It's like the budget. I mean, we really do not want to um, fa- um, face a budget in reality, do we? I mean, a lot no, of No, that's right. And it's kind of embarrassing if you yourself have not had good money management habits to talk to your kids about it because you feel a little bit like a hypocrite. But I like what I call the natural style, which is just as you go throughout your day, Kind of, kind of based on uh, the Deuteronomy, the Shema, about talk to your children about these commandments of God, particularly, mm-hmm. but you can talk about anything as you sit at home and as you walk along the road and when you rise up and when you lie down. So I talk to my kids about money a lot in stores as we're shopping. Um, you, you know, how much money does this cost? Where did that money come from? Why don't I buy, buy everything I see, kids? And then you start talking about opportunity costs or the fact that I have other obligations with my money and I can't spend, spend it all on clothes in the store where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. There are some resources, and I put them on my website at uh, microbusinessforteens.com as well as homeschoolcpa.com. And it's just it's um, uh, how to teach kids about money. And, and then there are some resources if parents would rather have like a curriculum. So I've taken a break from math when I homeschooled my kids for like six weeks and we would do personal finance. I've taught personal finance at my homeschool co-op. So there are ways you can maybe bring in the, um, the instruction for your student without maybe doing it yourself or getting some help from some curriculum or some books or things like that to help you walk through it all. Yeah, well, there are there are a couple. There's that penny candy one, the economics book. That's that's yeah. quite uh, that's a nice um, yeah. curriculum that I that I enjoyed um, doing with my children. But you know, um, what about the money myths that we uh, tripped up with? I mean, what's what's one of the money myths that you talk about? Oh, I liked where you already touched on it. That debt is usual and normal. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's one of the first myths. Or another myth is that um, having just a little bit more will make me happy. Yeah. Or the just the whole myth that things make me happy. So, you know, a lot of people talk about my my medication is shopping. And and this is very prevalent among teenage girls, although teenage guys are susceptible to it too. They just don't admit it because their shopping has a tendency to be bigger things or like video games. But but girls will go out shopping as a way of being sociable with each other. And, mm-hmm. and you have to teach them that um, let's try to be friends with a girl without having to go spend money. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't want those those good feelings to be tied to spending money. We want those good feelings to be tied, like you were talking about, just just visiting with friends in your pub, just just being with people is what brings yeah. the joy, not spending the money. Yeah, yeah. And um, my daughter is is uh, you know she she finds it hard. She loves spending her money. She works hard for her money as well. But mm-hmm. I say to her that if you owe anybody money, like if she owes her brother money or whatever, if she spends all of her money before paying him back the, the the decided upon amount or agreed upon amount that week she's in essence you know cheating her brother she's it's not her money to spend until that's she's right. paid debt and um that that's a, a really good lesson i look at her and i say now remember you know the money isn't yours until you've paid everything that you you know all the debt that you have which isn't much but little bits and pieces here and then she suddenly goes oh and that's all i have left 
left. And I say, well, you know, you spent it somewhere else because you borrowed. Yeah. yeah. You know? Oh, that's so, good. That's a good yeah. way to, for you to encourage her to think that 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 paycheck is not all hers. Obviously, here in America, Uncle Sam gets their part first. The government gets taxes first. Okay. If you've taught your child to to be generous in return, some of it goes back to the Lord's work or their church or their ministry they want to support. Then some goes to future needs, which is savings. Then debt, and finally, that little bit left over is for them. (laughs) Well, we're going on a short break, Carol. We'll be right back. So stay with me. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. was sad, right. cause he had a death deal, mommy and dad, right. but that ain't the case, nope. it wasn't his fate, no, nope. the wants never struggled to communicate, ha. y'all wave your hands, look who's on, yeah. it's the code of man Keith and he's number one, it's that Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 central, every week that Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us, to hopefully help us better understand others, the topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community, for more on Keith Wine and the show, go to his website, KeithWanWANN.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Number number one, Keith's number one. Everybody clap because the Coda Man's on. Don't miss that Keith Wan Show. Wednesday nights at 8, 7 central on Toginet.com. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism. The historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years? How can we hold on to what we hold dear? And the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I've been talking to Carol Top, or am talking to Carol, author of the new series, Micro Businesses for Teens. We've been talking about um, money myths that trip us up and um, why we prefer to avoid budgets because we don't really like to talk very much about money. Actually, in England, it's kind of like a taboo subject, like religion and politics. You just don't talk about money, but there are times when you really have to. And um, I was thinking that, really, we don't see our money anymore. You know, when you get paid on payday, it's no longer handed to you in a little envelope in cash. And um, I remember those days because I used to be somebody who did payroll, and I would hand the money out and the people would open their little envelope and check their money and then sign for it and off they'd go. 
I remember that, too. My mother used to drive through the bank every Friday evening to cash her paycheck, and then we went to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And if there was money left over, we got a treat, like, to eat at McDonald's that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very yeah. cash-based. But, you know, we can still operate that way. I have some friends that operate that way. And it's a very good way for children to operate, even into their teen years. And, oh, maybe about 15 or 16 is when I encouraged my daughters to get a checking account and then tied with a debit card. So while they were still at home with me, I could teach them some of the principles of, of you know, delayed gratification and self-control with using that debit card. You'd hate for a kid to be in college or graduated the first time that they're they're given a debit card. And who knows what could happen then. Oh, I know, I know. And uh, but the banks are, you know, usually they'll put a credit card, attach it to the account, or if you ask them to, I suppose. So that if they do <laughs> overdraw, at least they're not kind of embarrassed yeah. at the store or whatever. And, and uh, that might not be too bad, but there might be a time when they actually need whatever it is they're buying with their debit cards. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good idea then, um, you know, because a lot of money, a lot of paychecks are put straight into the into their bank accounts. And so all they get is just this little piece of paper that says the money's been paid in mm-hmm. and uh, for them to go and just pull it out. And that way they've got their money. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good idea. Okay, so let's talk about your new series, your um, micro businesses for teens. And I know that you, you might want to um, tell us a little bit about some of the work that your two girls did when they were at home, as well as talking about this new book of yours. Yes. Well, I was inspired by some of my teenage tax clients to write this book, Micro Business for Teens. And I've written a series of books. One is called Starting a Micro Business for Students Who Say, Oh, I, you know, I want to do something, but I don't know what. And it gives them lots of ideas. Um, some of the students I've worked with have done things like tutoring, uh, foreign language, math, what, uh, music lessons, piano lessons, guitar lessons. That's what my daughters have done. One of my daughters enjoys photography. She does senior pictures for her friends, or now it's spread to be friends of friends, mm-hmm. which is kind of neat. She goes out for about an hour, does a photo shoot with them, takes it home, burns it to a disc, and charges them $50. Gives them the disc and everybody's happy. Yeah, so there are a lot of things, and that's what starting a micro business, the book as well as the website, gives kids ideas. And then they can progress to the next book, running a micro business, if they want some information on oh, all things having to do with running a micro business, customer service, marketing, um, do I need a business license, uh, insurance, things like that. And then finally, if they make money and their parents are starting to get a little worried about it, the final book is called Money and Taxes in a Microbusiness. And, of course, that's geared for the American tax system. But, um, you know, many of the principles are the same. You have to pay sales tax. Um, if you're selling a product, you have to be concerned about self-employment tax here in the United States, which is the same as Social Security and Medicare. And I, and I try to talk through that without overwhelming the kids and or their parents who might be helping and guiding them in that, but just to understand that, you know, these are some um, very important concepts for a kid to understand when they're a teenager running a micro-business, a very tiny business, mm-hmm. and they can apply that uh, when they become an adult. And many of my students have told me, I, I want to run my own business when I'm an adult. Maybe not the same thing I'm doing now, child yeah. care, mowing grass, but those principles, those business skills are going to carry forward into the future. Yeah, and it gives them it gives them a feel um, of being their own boss. It's always, um, I mean, that's a it's that's a frightening thing to be your own boss. But there are some people that just thrive on it, and they couldn't imagine working for anybody else. Yeah, 
Or they could do a little bit of both. I mean, if they want to be an employee, yep. that's fine. And maybe on the side have a small micro business. Many many adults do, too. We call them, you know, side businesses or something like that. But I like the term micro because it sounds more manageable for a teenager. They can start it quickly with what they already own or what they already know about. And they can end it quickly if things get too busy um, mm-hmm. or, or they're just or they lose interest or want to go on to something else. Right. So... Um what well, I, well you've already answered the question what is a micro business so it's a small it's a really small business where you don't need masses of seed money or inventory to start okay no, so it can start right. as an idea I'm start sorry? something that's just really you know that maybe they're doing and maybe they can turn it into something that somebody might pay them to do that's right i i, I know uh, a student whose family boards horses that's, that's a micro business. But then she also said, I think I want to give a few horseback riding lessons. Mm-hmm. There you go. It's right there in her own front yard. <laughs> so she yeah. does that. A lot of, lot of children do um, child care, but I knew one girl that did a little different twist on it. During the summer, she had a small group of children come to her house, and she called it a book club. She read them a book because she loved books. They did a craft. They had a little snack tied around the theme of the book. And two hours later, the parents came and picked up their children. She did that for six weeks, and the parents loved it because they knew every Tuesday for six weeks, I'm going to have two hours or two and a half hours mm-hmm. of child care. Mm-hmm. Was, and was, she was doing something that she loved, which was yeah. read. Yeah. yeah, and it was just in those six weeks, so it was manageable. Um, it was so popular that the parents said, could you do this in the afternoon for my older age kids? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, so it was it was great, and it was just enough that she did something she liked and made some money, and then, you know, was happy was was happy when it ended too because she might wanted to enjoy the rest of her summer. So I like micro businesses also being home based, so we feel a little better about the kids being working from from home, mm-hmm. as opposed to um, you know going out and who knows what they're doing, and and uh, we're concerned about their safety and things like that. They yeah. don't need a storefront. They don't need. Uh, like you said, a big expenditure of money up front. These are micro businesses. So, um, so if you were working, you know, if you had children like this, this one person that you said um, the children came to her home. What do you have to consider as far as insurance goes? I know immediately, you know, parents are thinking, what if a child gets hurt in my house and all of that kind of stuff. So, right. uh, is there a consideration there? It is, and of course, the best way to to avoid problem is to to be careful to to understand um, what the agreement is with your client. Maybe have it written up. It's it's very similar to if you uh, take a babysitting class, just so you know how to handle children and all the safety rules. So take reasonable precautions. I do devote a chapter in my book, Running a Micro Business, to insurance, and sometimes uh, a student uh, can get a rider on their parents' homeowner's policy for a home-based business. And that covers them, or it covers at least sometimes the equipment, like a, a computer or any equipment that the student might use in their business. A lot of times these businesses are so small that I, I encourage the kids, well, try it for maybe six months or a year, and then see if you need insurance and talk to your homeowner's insurance agent first. Because the kid, the student may find that they don't like in running the business after all, and, and you know, they fold, and here they've paid for an insurance policy that's not needed. So I yeah. say give it a trial first and then see what's needed. I also I also have some information on how to find out if a business license is required, and a lot of times if kids are providing services, a business license is not needed. If they're selling a product, yeah, then usually you have to collect sales tax and a vendor's license is needed, which is why I usually discourage kids from the 
selling of products, I like to encourage them to sell their time, sell a service. Okay, so selling their time would be um, less cost, um, sort of costly, less cost. Yeah, it's a little less complicated in terms of licenses and sales tax and things like that. Yeah. yeah, but they can earn, there's a certain amount that they can earn before they start to pay taxes, is that right? That's right, and in the American system, we have federal income tax, and they don't have to pay federal income tax till they earn over $5,700, that's at least 2010 and 2011, and they can still be dependent on their parents' tax return, parents care a lot about that, but there's this, uh, this other thing called self-employment tax, which in, of course, our system is Social Security and Medicare taxes, and students have, everyone, adults and students, have to start paying that tax if they earn a profit of more than $400 in a year. There are a few exceptions to that. I have a whole website called Teens and Taxes and, of course, the whole book Money and Taxes in a Microbusiness where I talk about some of the exceptions if a student goes into a home, like babysitting in someone else's home Mm -hmm. or mowing grass at someone else's home, then they don't have to pay that self-employment tax. Oh, so it's only if they're doing it under their own roof? That's it. Yes, that's basically. Then it kind of switches from what what the IRS calls household employees when you are going to someone else's house to work in their home as opposed to you running a business out of your own home. That's the difference, yep. So so the example of the girl, uh, her name was Kristen, who had the children into her home, she was really running a small business, basically, her book club, her her child care service was a small business because it was in her home. Mm. But you know what? That's part of understanding the aspects of business. So Kristen had to know that, that she might have some potential taxes to pay and charge her customers appropriately. And yeah. that's a great learning experience in a small level. So does that does that carry over um, into bigger businesses? Like when you're self-employed and you're working from home, you pay self-employment tax. But if you're self-employed, like contract or whatever, and you go out, do you pay self-employed tax? Um, th- yes, for adults. And I, what I didn't say <laughs> yeah. was that that household employee status, um, being free of self-employment tax, that is only for students ages 18 and under. Oh, so okay. the kids get a break, but we adults <laughs> do not. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm thinking one my brain's going because I'm thinking, well, we, we you know, we're, we're self-employed and um, we go out, we work for people, we still have to pay our self-employment tax. Right. That's so, right. So it's, it's a nice it's provision. Learning that there are different yeah. rules for different um, statuses of people, students, young people, adults. That's, yeah, that's right. And that is that is one great exception to the, the self-employment tax for for students under age eighteen. Yep. And I had a student who was mowing grass, and he was being quite successful at it. And that year he turned eighteen, we had to we had to hit reality and say, okay, now you're going to have to start paying. But you know, he was a very ambitious young man. He would make about ten thousand dollars in the summer. Wow. And now he's in college, and he's still running his landscaping and mowing business. But he said to me, Mrs. Top, I don't want to mow grass the rest of my life. My my goal is studying um, engineering, mechanical engineering technology. I want to run my own engineering firm someday, and the skills I'm learning now, I'm going to apply then. He even had three employees working underneath him. Right. So yeah, as a teenager. Okay, I'm sorry, we're going to go, have to go on a break. And... Mm-hmm. Um, we can come back, and I would like to go back over your, your website and maybe ask you another question. We've got about five minutes into the next segment. So um, come back after this. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? 
That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. The trick to getting published with your host, Florence Blake. Friday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Flo has seen it, done it, and now can share from her experiences as a newspaper staff reporter, feature writer, freelance editor, and college writing instructor. And now Flo has authored a system whereby her students enjoy a 90% success rate in attaining publication of their manuscripts for the first time. In just four years, she has over 800 of her own articles published in national magazines, newspapers, and anthologies. Author of several books, including the powerful memoir, The Sicilian Nobleman's Daughter, Florence has advised and edited professors, deans, PhDs, and hundreds of students' writings before submission. And now it's your turn. Join us Friday nights with your questions. Most of Flo's students say they've learned much and thoroughly enjoyed the journey. It's The Trick to Getting Published with your host, Flo Blake. Friday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Right, Carol, for this final five minutes, I just want to do a little um, recap on maybe brainstorming with your teens about starting a micro business. Because sometimes, you know, when, when you say something like that to me, my mind just goes blank and I go, I can't do anything. What could I do? So (laughs) some some little tips on how to get that brainstorming started. Right. I have a, a brainstorming exercise that I put in my workbook which is a which is a neat resource if you want to kind of have a little bit of a structure and take your kids through oh starting a micro business maybe even award high school credit for it but i tell them to start listing what things that they already know about skills they have things they like to do and then encourage the kids to look around them and see a need and this is where when you're just driving or living out your life you can say hey kids um is there a need for piano lessons? Is there a need for uh, child care in our neighborhood? And then, and then go to my website, Microbusiness for Teens, because you'll find a lot of ideas there of things teenagers have done. I don't put out there anything that's unrealistic or overachieving. These are real teenagers doing real businesses. And you can sign up for my newsletter there on Microbusiness for Teens, and I'll give the, the uh, person a, an article called uh, New Biz on the Block, Starting a Microbusiness in Your Neighborhood. So even ideas of what you can do right there on your street or for your neighbors or for your network of friends who are, who are your neighbors if you don't live in a, in a suburban or urban area. So 
I, I want to populate my books and my website, Microbusiness for Teens, with lots of ideas to get kids started and, and assure them they don't have to do this for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. They can do it for a few months mm-hmm. and then go on to something else if they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can find that information about starting a micro business on which website? Microbusinessforteens.com and or my name, Carol Top. That's with two Ps, caroltopcpa.com, which will lead you ultimately to the Microbusiness for Teens website, too. All right. So I'm going to have those. I'll have those listed or linked um, on the article on my Toginet website. Um, so listeners out there, if you have teens and young people, because I think you, there's a young boy who's 10 who has his own business. So, I mean, oh, they yeah. don't be teens. Entrepreneurs, any any age, um, yeah. just go to Carol Top's website. Yes, I, I kind of designed the books for teenagers so they can read themselves. But obviously, a nine, ten, or eleven year old mm-hmm. uh, can start their own business too. They might need a little more help from mom and dad, but that's okay. And it it, uh, yeah. it can again be a very micro business just to give them a little something to get started. And I know one girl who just designed. A, you know, I don't know flip flops. You know, the the shoes, the um, sandals. She just decorates them and puts colorful cloth on them, and they're quite popular. <laughs> and that's yeah. all she does, and she loves yeah. it. And it's yeah. not a huge business, but she's learning a lot, and she's happy doing what she does. And I think as parents, we can learn from it too, as homeschooling parents especially. I mean, we do a lot of learning alongside our children. And I think we could take <clears throat> this micro-business for teens and maybe find a micro-business for ourselves, don't you think? Oh, definitely. Learn along with our kids. That's one reason why I loved homeschooling so much. I got to relearn history. and <laughs> um, So many good things a student can learn. Obviously, they get to apply their math and writing skills, but they learn things like independence and poise and confidence, mm-hmm. um, responsibility, time management, money management. Wow. You know, all that, and they still might make some money that they can spend, you know, what a, what a yeah. bargain. <laughs> yeah, and feel good doing it and uh, be well-equipped. That's be right. well-equipped for life when they That's get right. older. So, well, Carol, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. Um, it's been a, just an absolute pleasure talking to you, and the time has just flown by. Yeah. Um, Carol Tobbs has been my guest this afternoon and morning for her. She's from Cincinnati where she lives with her husband and her two daughters and she homeschools as well as works at home as a CPA. Well, actually she's graduated just from homeschooling as her Mm -hmm. second um, child has gone off to college or was getting ready to go to college. Um, Carol also conducts workshops and seminars, so go onto her website and you will find out lots and lots about all the things she does and you might even get to see her and meet her in person. Um, we hope that you've been inspired to help your teens brainstorm about possible ways to make money and maybe even been encouraged yourself to start that micro business of your own. Carol, thank you once again for joining me this morning. I hope you have a lovely weekend and good luck with your series and your workshops. Thank you, Vivian. Thank you. Well, it was a joy talking to you, and it did go so fast. We could talk a lot longer, couldn't we? Yes, we certainly could. (laughs) Bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Well, as I say, once a homeschooler, always a homeschooler, and this is so true. This week, our sons called us on Skype 
separately about the pool. Yep, the one in the garden attached to the McNinney homestead. At last, they're realizing it's not just a fill and swim accessory. From the moment the pool company collected their final payment from us, leaving behind a sparkling, cool and inviting body of water in our bag 40, we've tried to impart to the children that it takes a lot of hard work to keep it looking so effortlessly, so naturally refreshing and clear especially in the heat they're suffering from at the moment. They persisted, however, in their belief that their only responsibility was to dive in and enjoy. For my part, I liked looking at the water when it was shimmering in the sunlight. I didn't go in for the swimming around portion or do much towards the upkeep. My blue-eyed cowboy with experience from his childhood took over those duties and he did a wonderful job too. Now we're getting calls about cracks in the plaster. Not wanting to foot any unnecessary bills, I compared it to nail polish on a fingernail. It looks nice, but it's not an indicator of nail health. Plaster is a cosmetic device to stop the eyes from dwelling on the steel and unsightly concrete from which the pool is constructed. Cracks in the plaster are not warning signs of a pending leak in the pool wall. Our money could be better used on something higher up the home maintenance priority list. So my sons turned their worry radars to the algae, which was giving the clear water a green tinge. We acknowledge this to be a problem. So set to having a homeschool tutorial via the internet courtesy of Skype. First of all, we talked about how to exact maximum efficiency from the pump. If it's not running enough to keep up with the extra activity being thrust upon the pool since we ran away, then algae moves in uninvited it may seem, but only to be expected under the circumstances. From all accounts, the amount of swimming and rough housing going on now that Simon and his friends are aspiring wild men is enough to warrant at least double the pump action that I had programmed. Simon spent his first day off cleaning the filters, taking a sample of water to Leslie's, don't you just love them for their analysis, and racking his brains to remember how to work out cubic measurements and get an idea of how many gallons the pool holds a lot. Ian spent his day off methodically scrubbing the algae off the pool walls. No chemical will do that. It has to be done naturally and manually. Ask me. I know. Then, of course, they both spent another day off cleaning, making sure the pumps were working properly, shocking, soda ashing and clearing the skimmers. Ah, welcome to the world of the homeowner. Thank goodness for video, Skype and iPhones. We were on call for most of the first day and things went quite well. I was amazed at how much we actually knew. Now I understand why fathers and mothers are in such demand when their children leave home and set up on their own. You'd think the offspring had never lived anywhere before. Where were they when we were doing all the fun activities involved in keeping a house from getting run down? I'm sure they were there. We homeschooled. Maybe they thought it was all play. Oh, yes. Now, I do remember they did say that some weeks it didn't seem as though they'd done any school. And when I pointed out the carpet we'd taken up or the furniture we'd moved for spring cleaning or the baskets we'd washed using the hose outside on a hot and miserable day, they'd go, that was school. I'd never suggest they took all the good things in life for granted. They were right there all the time, rolling up their sleeves along with the best of us. Only now it's their free time from a grueling week at work, and it no longer feels like play. The pool looks good now, after all their hard work, that we didn't have to do. Thanks, boys. And Malia and I are thriving on our one-on-one -on -one learning sessions. She's learned how to make birds custard from scratch. Halfway through all the careful stirring while adding milk that was just coming to the boil, she asked, 
Why didn't we get the instant kind? It's so much easier. It is, but not nearly as much fun. We talked and giggled and tried different biscuits I've bought and rearranged cupboards and sampled strong cheeses with stuffed olives, all as we huddled over the stove waiting for a pint of milk to come to the boil. A watched pot never boils, she said, after what seemed like hours, but we had fun daring it too. So as a treat, and Carol will... um, attest to the fact that this is what we do for treats we went shopping we had a shocking shopping spree last week it had been six weeks since malia had gone into a shop for anything other than a necessity and she was excited we hit the local high street the following day to finish up our search and find expedition we were on a budget that daunting word that carol was talking about so this wasn't just a casual shopping spree The strange weather in what is meant to be the same hemisphere as America leaves a lot to the imagination. I mean, the calendar says it's July, but it does honestly feel like April. And my wardrobe is requiring of me a light jumper, preferably button up for easy shrugging on and off. I have heavy coats and max tees and long sleeve shirts, but nothing in between. And with money not flowing, we hit the charity shops and they're much nicer on the high street. There's sort of little organizations. There's an Oxfam, a Heart Foundation, Help the Children, you know, you name it, it's out there. And believe it or not, all these shops is are unique each one of them is unique some are laid out really well and i keep looking around to make sure i was in a charity shop one of them is actually has everything arranged by color for ease of buying and it's very attractive and i suppose we you know kind of spent quite a bit of money but only one pound and two pounds at a time instead of like 30 and 40 pounds or whatever in fact malia who was on the lookout for anything she bought a designer bag um, it cost me seven pounds, and at home we looked it up online. It was worth over a hundred, so that was pretty good. And she goes off to work in her little five-pound short leather jacket, looking very swish. We have to be careful how we dress here. People watching is a national sport. There's no hiding in your PJs behind a steering wheel. Well, after that little story, I've discovered that I have come to the end of yet another hour for another week. So. I have nothing planned unless we decide to take a train trip somewhere this weekend. But I'm sure by next week there'll be plenty to share with you again. We're going to the pub tonight and we're going to have Chinese for a change afterwards. Um, Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight. Our four children who are the result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas. The hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest Carol Topp and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary and many others, part of my growing audience listen to my friend sandy fowler host of heartfield holidays on mondays at 1 p.m central so may the lord bless you and keep you this week may he show you his kindness and have mercy on you may the lord watch over you and give you peace Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian